Hello and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Jeremy and I'm here with my wife Rosie and today we're talking to Lorraine. Lorraine has had somewhat of a roller coaster life. She grew up in a working class family in Manchester, England, found her first husband and moved in with him at the age of 19. She was then married by 21 and moved to Malaysia to be with him. Bear in mind this was in the 80s without internet. She had two beautiful children with her first husband but realised that she wasn't super happy in her marriage. And this is when the internet came around and started to talk to somebody who became a friend who then became her husband who she's with now. She ended up flying to New York to be with him and never returned home. It took one year to get her children over to New York with her which was a long and painful process but completely worth it in the end. She spent many years in New York and is now living happily in Florida. She's a very upbeat person with a go-getter personality who says yes to life and love. But she's also an incredible businesswoman who has started many profitable businesses. She's such a wonderful woman. We really hope you love this episode and feel inspired to do it as she says. Enjoy the episode. Hi Lorraine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you are actually the mother of one of the guests we had a few months ago, I think it was in 2020, uh, you are, uh, Jojo's mom <laughs> and right. you, you've heard down the podcast and you probably know that, but we, Jojo made our experience in Miami so much better. And thanks to her, we had an incredible time over there because she introduced us to so many things that were amazing. So we are very grateful to have Jojo as a friend. <laughs> she's fantastic. You must be a very proud mum. <laughs> I really am. I really am. She's she's a great girl. Yeah. Yeah. So during her episode, she obviously talked about her life and her childhood and everything. And she gave us a little glimpse of uh, your life as well. Because yes. you're obviously part of her story when she was younger and everything. Yeah. Um, and you're also an avid listener of the podcast. So sometimes I get a little notification on Instagram when we interview Daryl or um, Katie, stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And last time I actually said to Rosie, like, I'm going to ask Jojo's mum if she wants to be on the podcast. <laughs> it would be funny. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's why I've reached out. <laughs> That's nice. I could be the oldest guest you've ever had, but that's okay. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> it doesn't matter, to be honest. <laughs> you have actually more to more to share, so <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, as people might notice, uh, even if you live in Miami right now, you don't have a Miami accent <laughs> at all. That's right. You have a, yeah. a, a a British accent up north from Manchester. That's, that's where you're. Right journey your life begins so do you want to tell us maybe about yeah growing up in in the uk yeah um well like you said i'm from manchester which is a industrial city really Mm. Uh, it's in the north of england and it's pretty grimy and gray and but in actual fact it's very exciting city a lot goes on in manchester it's well known for music and uh, when i was growing up you know as a young kid First of all, I had a really great childhood. I come from a working class background. Mm. Uh, my parents, my father was a sheet metal worker in a big factory. He pounded out and he was a draftsman for Boeing who mm. did aircraft at the time. And mm. he worked with them and he 
was responsible for the, the metal that goes on the planes and things like that. So that was his job. It was a very manual job. He always came home at night with dirty fingernails and, you know, it was, it was a laboring job. And my mom did anything she could to make money. She was a hustler. She would work in supermarket, fish and chip shop, anything she could to drink, bring extra income into the family. Mm. And growing up there, it was it was cool because I think I'm of the generation where we were allowed to play out all day and all night until mm. the lights came on. My mom would always say to us, you know, you have to be home before the street lights come on. Well, as Rosie probably knows, being from England in the summer, that's not till 1030 at night, some <laughs> summers, you know. So as a kid, I was always out on the street. I was a bit of a tomboy. I loved to play soccer. I love to play, uh, like, well, you call it baseball, but we called it rounders. Yeah. And I was always out on the streets as a kid. You know, I was pretty tomboyish and got up to mischief, but, <laughs> you know, I wasn't a bad kid. I was just a handful for my parents. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. And growing up in Manchester as a teenager, I was pretty wild, I have to say, you know. 15, I was going out to nightclubs in downtown Manchester and I was trying to sneak back in the house at 4 a.m. in the morning <laughs> and my dad would wait up for me, you know, and give me a good telling off for being out so late. But I was not a bad teenager. I was not a drinker. I didn't use drugs, but I loved to dance. My thing was to go out to clubs and I would dance and dance, you know, meet people and that was it. My life in Manchester was so good. I really loved growing up there and I had a great childhood and I have a parents that did everything they could financially. Even though we were pretty poor, when it came to Christmas, my family would work, my mom would work extra shifts mm -hmm. just to make sure we had a good Christmas and, you know, we were well taken care of. So I had a good family, good upbringing, great childhood. Teenage years were pretty wild. <laughs> And I don't know what else to tell you about that side of myself. So how long did you um, spend in, in the UK, in Manchester specifically, but more in, in England? Okay, in England, I left in 1982. Mm -hmm. I met my first husband who um, came to Manchester from Malaysia as a university student. Mm -hmm. He went to school in Manchester University. Yeah. I met him in a nightclub, you know, we got together. I was young at the time when I met him. I think I was 18 at that time when I met my first husband and um, had a bit of a falling out with my father about being out late at night as usual and I ended up moving out when I was quite young. I think I was almost 19 when I moved in with my first husband. That time he was a university student and he was living in an apartment in the city center. So I moved out of my family home at that time and I moved in with him. I was 19 at the time. And he carried on going to school and then his visa came up for expiration. He couldn't stay any longer after college. So it was either we got married or he had to leave. Yeah. So we ended up getting married. So I got married at that time, I was 21, just 21 when we got married. And um, we got married and then he decided he didn't want to live in England after we got married. <laughs> so I said, okay, what are we going to do? So it was off to Malaysia. 
So I ended up getting on a plane at 21 with him and moving to wow. Malaysia. I had no idea, you know, anything about Malaysia. I had no idea what the country was like. I, I only knew it was in Southeast Asia. Mm. I didn't know what to expect. It was a matter of, I just got on a plane. We just went and I landed there. Wow. That's quite young to move in with somebody at 19 and then be married yeah. at 21 and then move to a different country where it's yes. only that person that you know. That's quite yes. a, a brave, big step that even, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old people would hesitate towards. It's interesting. I don't know. It's interesting. Did you feel you were too young at the time or did it just feel right? Or um, I think at the time, if I look back on it now, mm. you know, I see it a lot more clearly than I did then. Mm. At the time... I was young, naive. It was a big adventure. I was excited. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, but when looking back on it, I realized I really didn't do it for the right reasons. Mm. You know, I left because I was afraid of losing him, that he would, he would go off and leave me, yeah. you know? And I think that's the reason really at the back of my mind, when I think about it, that I went more out of fear for myself of losing him because I was in love with him. You know, when yeah. I married him, we were in love, you know? Yeah. So um, it, I think it was very well, much that. Times are very different. I think if you have to have a long distance, long distance relationship now, you've got FaceTime, you've got Instagram, you've got WhatsApp, you've got all these different ways to communicate. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, not even 10, 15, 20 years ago, that was, wasn't a thing. You were lucky if you had a phone down the street to call somebody. <laughs> so it's, it was very different that if you didn't go with yes. him, that probably yes. would have been the end of it. So it's, it would. it's very different yes. to today's relationships in today's society. Yes, absolutely. No phone, no internet. There was no internet back yeah. then at all. You know, there was no cell phone. There was a pay phone. And like you said, that was it. And that was another thing. When I did move there in 82, I had a very hard time because Malaysia were, at that time was a third world country. Mm. You know, it was pretty backward. And um, not now, but back then it was. And yeah. I missed my family dreadfully because I had no form of communication with my family. Yeah. I could call them maybe once a month if I was lucky because it was so expensive to make a call from Malaysia to Europe back in those days that I was lucky if I could call once a month to my family. Yeah. And when I did get there, in the beginning it was exciting, you know, but as time wore on, I became very isolated and lonely over mm. there. I missed my parents very much. I missed mm. my sister and my brother, you know, and it became increasingly difficult for me as time went on, as the novelty wore off, should yeah. I say, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, it, it was hard. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, and, Jeremy. No, no. How, how did your parents and your family in general, but especially your parents, uh, reacted to that because to see the dear you know daughter 21 years old like going so far away in the world right. and like you right. said like without internet you know we like i mean i don't even know much about malaysia to be honest <laughs> and i could know a lot about it so i don't right. even imagine without all the knowledge that we have now uh it must have been extremely scary for them to see you go there yeah uh well my dad my dad was a man of very few words. 
Growing up, he was a very quiet man and he really didn't have a lot to say, my dad, to be honest. But my mom was extremely upset and worried about me, you know, and um, she, she, you know, she tried to stop me from going and things like that. But, you know, I was young and, and silly and, you know, you think you know everything and <laughs> off I went. But, you know, she, she was, she was, my mom was upset. My mom was upset. My dad always said, you know, oh, don't worry about her. You know, she'll find her way. She'll land on her feet. He had that kind of attitude. Yeah. And in a way, he's, he's right because I'm a very independent kind of girl. You know, and and he knew that. But of course, my mom, the maternal instinct was in there to protect me. And she really didn't want me to go. But, you know, it was it was difficult for my mom. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess adjusting to this completely new life, a, a new way of living, a new language as well, because I, yes. I, I'm not sure they didn't speak English, no, yes. in Malaysia, I guess, in the 80s. Yes. Yeah, they did speak English actually yeah. because it used to be a British colony. So okay. yeah, so the schools did teach English as a second language. So many mm. people in Malaysia did speak speak English, but I did have to learn Malay. Mm. You know, to to communicate in the store, in the market, and things like that. You know, the the, the regular working people perhaps right. didn't speak yeah. really good English. So I did learn how to speak Malay over time. I mean, I speak fluent Malay now. And I do speak a little Mandarin also because many of the um, citizens in Malaysia are Chinese. I think a quarter of the population are Chinese. Wow. And you also have a quarter of the population are Indian. Wow. So, and the half population are Malay. So it, it's a pretty uh, diverse culture over there. But I did learn, my, with my husband being Malaysian Chinese at the time, I did learn how to speak some Mandarin and some um, what they call Hakka, which is a different kind of dialect from China where his family came from. Okay. And But Malay I picked up quite easily. Malay is not a difficult language to actually speak mm. because the phonetics are very similar to English. Okay. Ah. So that was easy for me to pick up. So yeah, the language barrier, you know, took some time, but I got there. <laughs> and did you have any plan when you moved there? Because you're... So husband finished school in the UK. He wanted to move back over there. Did he have any plan? Did, did you two have any plan of what you were going to be doing for work and everything? Or it was just, let's move and see. Okay. My husband's family were extremely wealthy. Mm -hmm. They had rubber plantations all over Malaysia. Mm. Uh, they were also into tin mining, his father. So they were a very wealthy family. I didn't have to worry about money. To be honest, I went into kind of a fantasy lifestyle. I mean... We were picked up from the airport by a chauffeur. Oh. It was it was quite, you know, bizarre yeah. for me yeah. coming from Manchester and landing. And, you know, they lived in a mansion that was once occupied by the Japanese during the, the World War, the Second mm. World War. Um, it was a very kind of lavish life, lifestyle for me, mm. you know, in the beginning. And they gave my husband, well, they actually bought him um, a business to take over. Wow. When we got there, they, they also bought us a house. We didn't have to worry about a place to live, you know. So it was it was kind of in a way, it was like surreal yeah. in a way. 
Like I'd stepped into some kind of foreign movie. Yeah. I was going to say, you it know? sounds like some sort of like... It sounds like the crazy rich Asian. Asian. Yeah. I didn't like the like, movie, yeah. but it sounds like yeah. that. Or some sort of yeah. film where, like like you said, especially because you came from such a working class background in Manchester, you know, playing on right. the streets, wild, like teenage right. years. Right. And then you kind of get plucked from that and put in a different <laughs> world where it's just yeah. completely different to what you're used to. That would be such a good movie, but it was actually your life. It's kind of... Yeah. It must be weird to think about sometimes to go back yeah. and be like, wow, did that actually happen? Yeah, 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 I know. And it, it was it was very odd, you know, it was a very odd thing. But I did find myself longing to be active doing something. So mm-hmm. I met up with some expat ladies that lived in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Most of them were from England, a few from Australia. There was like a group of maybe 10 of us at the time. And one of them was a lady that I met came from Leeds in Yorkshire. Oh, yeah. And she had this idea to open up um, a preschool, a kindergarten, mm. you know, for for young, you know, young kids, you know, get them in school and this and that. Because there was very little education-wise for preschoolers back then in Malaysia, you know. Mm. They had regular primary school, but when it came to preschool, nursery, kindergarten, they didn't have anything. So she approached me and she says, how would you feel about us doing this together, opening up a school, you know, trying to get some some um, of the locals to bring their kids in and things like that. So I said, sounds great. You know, I'm all in. I would love to do that. I would love to, you know, help children here, you know, from an early age, learn to speak English. So I actually yeah. went to school in Singapore mm. and I, I took up early childhood education in Singapore Wow. And I, I got my qualifications there from a lady called Patricia Cole, who was very famous in Singapore for her um, background in early childhood education. She worked with the Department of Education of Singapore. She was well known. And I went to school and I got my certification as a kindergarten teacher mm. and preschool teacher. Then I also took a course with the International School of Learning. This is funny. <laughs> in child psychology... Of course, this was done all without internet. So they would send me through the mail, you know, tons and tons of paperwork. And I had to wait and I would get these big boxes of mail coming with papers, you know, for me to study and then to fill out and to send back. And it was a whole thing over mail, you know, doing this correspondence class Mm -hmm. in child psychology, which I did complete. And I got a diploma in child psychology. And I got my certificates for early childhood education. So then we went in full force and we opened this preschool in Jawabaru, Malaysia, called Rainbow Kindergarten. And it became extremely successful. Mm. Within a year, we had 140 children. We ended up opening a second branch. It became a really big deal over there. I think we were the first school run by expats, Mm. you know, that um, opened up for young children and I absolutely loved it it was I would be there from eight in the morning till eight at night I I just enjoyed it so much Mm. Mm. that's incredible did you have any I don't know like experience or even ambition to become uh, to to have a business before that or it was just there is an opportunity here I'm just gonna grab it 
it was very much that. Here's an opportunity. I was kind of languishing in this weird lifestyle that I I wasn't accustomed to. And it was all great in the beginning. But then I found myself getting bored. And what am I going to do with myself? I was young. I was in my 20s. I I wanted to have a career. I I wanted to do something. You know, so the opportunity came along and I, I, and I grabbed it, you know, and, it, and ran with it. And it, it was great. Mm. It was really great. So you had both Michael, right? It's also yeah. yeah. Michael, and, Michael and Jojo in Malaysia, right? They were both born yes. there. Yes, they yeah. were both born there. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And how long in total did you stay in, in Malaysia? I was in Malaysia for 18 years. 18 years, wow. Yeah, 18 wow. years. Yeah. Um, my husband, my ex-husband and I, we kind of grew apart. And I think it was down to, I have to say, our divorce was very amicable. Not, there was no nastiness. It, it was good. We just knew that we had grown apart. You know, I had sort of grown much faster than he had. Yeah. I had big ambitions and I wanted other things to do. And I wanted a different kind of life. And he was very much settled in the the way he was and the way he was living, and we just grew apart. My my ex and I. It was no nobody's fault. We married young, and it just happened, you know. And I went through a very dark period of time because in '98, um, I got a phone call from my dad, mm-hmm. and he said, "Lorraine, you have to come home." He said, "Your mom's sick. She's very sick." So I I didn't know anything. I was kind of, you know, what is going on? And she'd been diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer, gallbladder cancer. And uh, they had given her three months to live. From the time I got the phone call from my dad and the doctor told her that day that they give her three months, she died three months later. And I went back to the UK to be with my mom. And I took Michael and Jojo back with me you know, because I wanted them to have as much time with grandma as they could, you know, before she passed. And um, my mom's passing was a huge turning point for me in my life. Um, I remember her on a deathbed in the bedroom and talking to me and she knew that I was unhappy in my marriage. Mm -hmm. And she told me, Lorraine, listen to me. She said, you have one life to live. She said, look at me. Three months ago, I was walking down the street thinking everything was rosy, you know, and here I am now and I'm not going to make it for another few weeks. You know, in a few weeks, I'm going to be gone. So she said, if you're not happy, do something about it. Do something. Don't waste your life in a relationship that's not fulfilling. And that was a huge turning point for me. And I got back to Malaysia with, Michael and Jojo, and there and then I made a plan. I have to do something. I can't stay in this relationship. I can't stay in this situation. And, you know, it was not long, maybe two weeks after I got home that mom passed. Mm. So that was very difficult, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry you went through that. It's not easy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's not. But some things out of that came tremendously wonderful for me Um, I started writing children's books at the time I was in a very dark place and 
the, the school was doing fine and everything, but in Malaysia, they didn't have a reading program for children that the kids could relate to. They used to get these uh, books imported, Peter and Jane, and, and there would be books about from the West about yeah. kids playing in the snow and going off to the fair. And, you know, kids in Malaysia could not relate to those things. Yeah. You know, so I created a reading program with 60 books wow. that taught children how to read from, you know, right from the beginning all the way through preschool. And it took me three months to write the books. I mean, wow. I sat down, yeah, three months. That was pretty quick. That was <laughs> quick. Bloody <laughs> hell. I, I was in such a bad place with my mom passing yeah. and my whole life in basically, my whole life had been turned upside down that they were, these books were my escape, yeah. you know? I would go up to the bedroom, I would lay on the bed with a big notepad and a pen, and I would just write and write and write and write, you know, and these books came out of all the grief and, and trauma that I'd been through. They helped me. They helped me get through all that, you know? And I, it sounds I like it was healing for you. Very like, you much know, like so. Meditation, yoga, you know, kind of, yeah, like airway yeah, of healing. And, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Very therapeutic, very healing. And I got in touch with an illustrator who lived in Singapore and we worked on the illustrations together and they were picked up and published and they're still being reprinted today wow. from 1998. <laughs> so cool. it's so cool. It's so cool. And that came out of mom's passing and everything that I went through, you mm -hmm. know, and that totally changed my life and turned everything upside down. Yep. So after you decided to leave your husband... Mm -hmm. Or you both kind of, I guess you both decided. Yeah. Did you stay in Malaysia for after that or did you then move away? How how did that go? Oh, this is another story. <laughs> um, good Lord. What happened was the internet happened. The internet yeah. came in 2000 and I got my first computer in Malaysia and I got on the internet and it opened up a whole new world for me. Yeah. You know? Back then, we didn't have instant messaging. We didn't have anything. But what they had were chat, what they called chat rooms mm. that people could go into from all over the world. And I happened to come across a chat site, and it was called Hawaii Chat. Mm. So I logged into this chat site, and there must have been 60 people in this chat room. And they were all talking to each other, and there were people from New Zealand, Australia, England, America, all in there talking to each other. And it, it was eye-opening and it, it, it became my escape from loneliness, you know, just yeah. being able to talk to all these people. And then day, one day I was in there and this girl sent me a message. She said to me, have you heard of a chat site called 30-something? So I said, no, no, I haven't. So she said, well, you know, she gave me the link and I logged into 30-something and it was incredible. We had these four rooms and there were all different people in there. And every day I would go in there, you know, we were in a different time zone because the time zone was in America mm. and I was in Malaysia. So when I chatted in the evening, it was the morning in America, right. you know, so it was a whole thing, you know, so I would log in and I would chat on there. And then I got a message privately from the owner of the chat room, mm. the website. And this was Jimmy. 
my now husband, he owned the chat site, the website. So he would start talking to me privately, you know, what are you doing? Where are you? Blah, blah, blah. And every day we would communicate with each other, maybe just for a few minutes in the beginning. But then our conversations got more and more involved, you know, and sometimes, you know, we'd be talking for two and three hours a day. You know, it was amazing. And then in the end, he says to me, oh, you know what? He said, uh, I'm going to call you. So he started calling me on the phone. So we spoke on the phone for maybe six, seven months. Every day he would call me and we would Mm. talk on the phone. And he became such a great friend to me. It was not a romantic relationship back then Mm. in the beginning. He was just such a great friend. He would listen to me, you know, and, and it just developed like that. And then one day he said to me, you know, uh, what happened was 9-11 happened. Oh. And um, I, was, I was in the living room and I was ironing. And Jimmy actually worked in the city in Manhattan when 9-11 happened. And I, was, I remember being in the living room and I was ironing, I think it was JoJo's school uniform for the next day, you know. And I saw it come up on the news, the Twin Towers explosion with the planes and I started to panic because I knew Jimmy was only a mile away from the Twin Towers. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to call him on the phone and I couldn't get through to him on the phone and I I panicked. And then in the end, he managed to text me and say, I'm okay, you know, they just won't let anybody in and out of Manhattan today. I have to sleep at the the shop. He worked in a a place downtown in, in Manhattan. So um, that happened. And then from there, I I realized how much I actually thought of this guy because I was so concerned. And so that's when I decided, well, he said to me, look, you have to come to New York. We have to meet. This is crazy. So I went to New York. I got on a plane. I went to New York and I never went back. I never went back. I landed in New York and that was it. I met Jimmy. He picked me up at the airport. I'd never seen him before. I'd seen a picture of him, but I'd never met him before. You know, it was like something that was another movie, you know. Oh, my God. There's Jimmy. (laughs) And um, it was so funny because when I met him, you know, he was not at all what I imagined as (laughs) physically or, you know, anything and I get in this car with him and he had a Mercedes Benz and I get in this car and he puts on all this rap music, Tupac, Biggie Smalls, Eve, and he was blurring it all the way and I'm thinking, oh my God, what what have I done? done? (laughs) So you literally never went back? You literally stayed? I stayed. I overstayed my visa. I was in big trouble. Yeah. Oops. Told you I'm a wild one. <laughs> Did they never, they never, what happened with the visa thing? I no, we had to get an attorney and we had, I had to pay a fine. I mean, legally, everything was sorted out in the end, yeah, you know, yeah. but it, it cost us some money and we had to go through the, the correct avenues and one thing and another. And the next step was to get Jojo and Michael into America. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very like funny story and it, it shows a lot about your personality and everything, but... Um, you make it sound like really easy, but how, I mean, deciding to leave your two kids behind to cross, like, to literally go to the other side of the globe, pretty much, to meet a man that you've seen a picture of. Yeah. 
it's what crazy. went through your mind? It's crazy, but yeah. it must have been terrifying also. Like, am I gonna see my kids again? Like Oh no, I, I had a plan to get the children. You know, everything I worked out, you know, before that I was gonna get them to America. I mean, yeah. even my ex-husband tried to help me get them to America by taking them to the Malaysian consulate to get them a visa, which was mm. denied. Because of 9-11, they wouldn't let people come in from a Muslim country at that time, you know? So that was another hassle. I ended up having to... I got them British passports so mm. they could come in. I, I worked out, theoretically, how to do all this. Yeah. But it was just red tape of making it happen. It took mm. a year to get the children into, into America from mm. start to finish because of immigration issues and... Um, the passport issues and everything that was going on, you know? So, but definitely I was absolutely terrified. You know, the whole time I was, I was scared. I was sick to my stomach some nights worrying, you know, will I get them here? What am I going to do? You know, and Jimmy even came up with a plan that if look, if we don't get them here, we're just going to go and get them. Yeah. He, he, he was thinking we were going to just fly to Malaysia you know, and get them and bring them no matter what, you know. Mm. So it, it was a very scary, scary time. How old was they at this time? Joanne at the time was eight. Mm. Michael was 15. Mm. Yeah, 15 going on 16. And Joanne was eight going to be nine. Yeah. So, yeah, it was fairly young for Joanne, eight years old, 15 years old, I guess, um, he was totally aware of what was going yes. on. Yes. Obviously, way more than Joanne. How, what yeah. did you tell them when you left and how did they react? Well, when I left, I had spoken to Michael about what was happening. Mm. Mm. I didn't tell Jojo too much because she was very young. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I knew that, you know, I, didn't, I really didn't know what to say to Joanne at the time. It was very difficult. I mean, I could tell her that I was going away and that I was going to come and get her. But, you know, for, for a little girl that age, it would have been very frightening, I think. Yeah, the, and the prospect of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I told her, you know, that I was going to pay a visit to a friend and I would be back. And, you know, that's how it was at the time. Mm. And it, it, was, it was scary. It was real scary. Yeah. So it took a year to get them over to America. How yeah. was it seeing them again after a year? Like they must have grown and changed. I mean, obviously you must have spoken to them, but I guess like, you know, hugging them again after yeah. a year must have been. Honestly, like... I remember my, my sister brought them. They, first of all, they flew from Malaysia to the UK okay. and they stayed with my sister for a week. Mm. And then she actually brought them from the UK to New York, because I was yeah. living in New York at the time. And I remember they came into JFK Airport. And um, I remember seeing Joanne as she came out of the doors. And I saw her from afar and she saw me and she was running and oh. running and running to me. And she got so chubby and we were both <laughs> in tears. And it was like... Honestly, I can honestly say it was like the day that I gave birth to her. Yeah. It was that feeling of such joy and and relief. Yeah. You know, and it was amazing. It was amazing. And she was 
she was beautiful she was beautiful and Michael you know Michael was older and you know it was great to see him and he, he was so happy and it was just a joyous day the best day of my life I think seeing them come into JFK airport yeah how did they adapt? I'm interested for your point of view because I think Jojo told us. How did they adapt from life in Malaysia to then life in New York? I mean, that's another right. shock. <laughs> a big difference, yeah. you know. It's not. Yeah. It's not big city to big city. I don't know. I guess like yeah. you know the language, the customs, the culture, the food, the children, the games. Like everything is different, right? Yeah. 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 How did they deal well, with that? How did they get on? Did they thrive or did they struggle a bit? Okay, well, Michael didn't stay. Michael came for the visit and he decided that he wanted to go back to be with his dad. And he had friends over there. He was 16 at the time. Yeah, but... And he decided he didn't want to live in, in America. And I understood that. I was disappointed and I, I was upset, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I did understand that because he also felt like a kind of um commitment to be with his father because you know and I, I I got it you know I, I I didn't feel anything but you know appreciation for his thoughts on that you know mm. so he decided to go back but for Joanne it was funny because uh, she had to go into middle school and she was a smart Joanne was smart in school mm. she's always been a smart girl um, Book-wise, you know, she's been pretty smart. And she would go into school and she would love it because in in American school, it was very different than Malaysian school. Malaysian school, even at the age of five or six, you have to sit at a desk all day. Mm-hmm. You can't get up. It's book work. It's, you know, they're very methodical in how they teach in Asian countries. It's not like American school where they get playtime and they go outside and, you know. So she loved it. She absolutely loved it. But she would come home and she would say to me, oh, mom, mom, I don't understand what they were asking me today in math. You know, what, what is long division? You know, and things like that. She didn't understand. She knew how to do long division. And she knew knew her times, multiplication and things like that, but she didn't sometimes understand the wording that they used in the beginning. So when I explained, oh, she'd say, oh, that's it. Okay. You know, so she had a little, a little adjustment to make, you know, and the weather, of course, because in New York, we had a lot of snow in the winter, which she'd never seen before. And the first massive snowstorm we had was like 18 inches we took her out in it and Jimmy pushed her face in the snow, you know, and, and, you know, she just loved it. She just loved America. All of a sudden a British accent disappeared and she had an American accent. (laughs) It all disappeared. (laughs) Were you worried before they joined you? Were Mm -hmm. you worried that they would be, well, you know, upset at you and resending you for abandoning them or whatever like did, was that something yes. that worried you yes it definitely did it very much worried me more with my son to be honest yeah, because he was older yeah. yeah yeah i mean i have spoken to them both about this in the past and you know and um they both they, they're both such good kids you know and they've been very understanding of the situation I was in, you know, and um, 
I mean, going back to those days when it was a dark place for me, and I was even suicidal at one point mm. in my marriage there. Mm. You know, it, it was bad. And I didn't talk to them about things like that at the time. You know, they were young. Yeah. But um, they were very understanding. I had a little rocky period with my son, I have to be honest, which mm. lasted for maybe about four or five years. Right. But then we had a great conversation and we cleared the air about many things. And our relationship has been nothing but stronger and stronger ever since. Mm. So that's a blessing for me. And with Jojo, she was young, you know, and I know that it affected her in some way. I'm not naive to think that it hasn't, you know, but I do understand. I do believe that she understands why I did that. And in a lot of ways, she's told me that she's grateful yeah that we that that happened because she would not have had the life that she has now yeah. in america if yeah. we had stayed in malaysia as a young girl her life would have been very different yeah yeah for sure yeah so how long did you stay in new york and what did you get up to there i'm sure you've got some surprises for us <laughs> well this is another thing you see i <laughs> i couldn't work legally in new oh, york of course yeah because, you know, I'd overstayed until until everything legally was cleared up and I became an American citizen, which I have, mm-hmm. and I love being an American citizen. And um, But in the beginning, I couldn't work. And so my husband, Jimmy, at the time was a milliner. He made hats. Mm-hmm. He was working in, in Manhattan and they had a huge hat, hat store mm-hmm. by Penn Station. He supplied to all the big stores, Macy's, Bloomingdale's. All of them took hats from Jimmy's store and he made the hats so when i first moved to america in new york i couldn't work and um the funny thing was he had started dabbling in buying tickets online he had bought a pair of yankees tickets to a game to take his son to and he realized when he bought the tickets that the face value was 40 dollars, and he bought them off the guy for a hundred dollars and he said, oh, wow, this guy made 60 bucks off me. You know, I'm going to try that. Yeah. So Jimmy ended up buying some WWE wrestling tickets, which was very popular at the time. Yeah. And he ended up making, I think, about $150 on the first pair of tickets he bought and resold on eBay. Mm. So that time eBay was big. And um, he said, he said, you know, I said, well, I can't work legally, but I can help you if if we can do a bit of the ticket business. Mm. So we ended up starting the ticket business and I was working on it all day from home. He was working in the hatch store mm-hmm. and it became so big, I couldn't keep up. Mm-hmm. So I told him to quit his job. He says, what do you mean quit my job? I've been there for 35 years. You know, he was earning 200,000 a year at the, at the job, you know? <laughs> I said, well, you know, you better quit your job. I said, because we can make more money doing the tickets. Yeah. So he said, no way. So I said, yes. So <laughs> he quit his job. And we ended up doing the tickets full time. Mm. And we started off on eBay and it became so big. It was crazy. We could not keep up with demand. And, you know, we were turning over in the beginning 300,000, 400,000 out of the bedroom in our little New York apartment. You so know, wasn't the basically first like the, the tickets for an event are going up for sale. They sell yes. out in an hour. You manage yes. to grab 10 tickets. Yes. And then exactly. because it's sold out, everyone is 
trying to get them yeah. on the second market and, and you just sell them for more. That's exactly it. that. <laughs> exactly that's what it was. Yeah. We, we created this business out of the secondary market, you know, ticket, ticketing agency. Sounds easy, right? When you think about it. Sounds easy. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of work, but, you know, it's amazing. And I was going to say, it's a lot of, to make that amount of money per year, you must have been mm. selling a fuck ton of tickets. <laughs> Honestly, honestly, like that's a you lot of tickets it. to make that. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're selling, you Listen. know, you make a hundred, hundred and fifty yeah, quid off a pair of tickets. Pay a lot for some things, like to see. Yes, yes. Example, example. Rolling Stones were coming to New York City, and they were playing at a tiny, tiny theater called the Rosemount Theater right. in Manhattan, standing only. The tickets went on sale, and they were, I think, they were like a hundred dollars a piece for the tickets to go to this show maybe a little more, I can't really remember, but they were cheap. So anyway, we ended up, Jimmy and I, getting on the computer and trying to buy tickets. And he couldn't get any, but I grabbed a pair. I grabbed a pair of tickets. We mm. sold those tickets for $1,500 per ticket. 15x. On the second, Whoa. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's that became the norm. Let me tell you, because we started, in the beginning, we were selling quantity over quality so we would scoop up you know from the in the arena from the top tier we would scoop up in the 400 sections of madison square garden we would scoop up maybe 20 pairs of tickets Mm. and we'd sell them at 30 dollars a pair profit which was great you know but then we realized that it was quality over quantity that would get us the big money so we started being very selective in the tickets that we bought and we started buying tickets only in the first five rows mm. of the theatres or the arenas, if we could grab them. Yeah. And we knew then we would pay more for them, but there would always be somebody yeah. that would pay a lot of money to sit first row, second row, you know, yeah. in a, in a theatre. And this business has grown substantially. I mean, this year alone, I mean, okay, Maybe last year, because of COVID, we thought things would not be great because of the, the concerts being cancelled and postponed. We turned over a million dollars in sales last year alone what? in tickets. <laughs> Bloody hell. Whoa. Yeah. It's grown Whoa. unbelievably. And do you still sell on eBay or do you have your own website now? No. What we do now is we supply to secondary market sites such as StopHop. We supply to StopHop. There is a very big company in the UK called Viagogo. We supply to Viagogo. We we used to supply to Ticketmaster, believe it or not. We would buy the tickets from Ticketmaster and we would resupply to Ticketmaster so they would sell them on their secondary market. Mm. You know, they had a secondary market called Get Me In in the UK. And I think in, in America, it's called Tickets Now or Tickets.com. Oh, yeah. And they are the secondary market for Ticketmaster. And so we would sell back to them. Yes, yeah, so go ahead. You're very business-minded with, you know, setting up the preschool, setting up the books, yes. setting up this. Yeah. There's lots of things that you've been doing over the years that you've, you know, made your own money and worked hard to succeed. And also yes. just being a like, problem solver. I can't work legally i can't get a job well we're just going to create yeah. an online business where i can just be in the shadow 
and yep. and I can figure it out. Like, you know, yes. like, okay, we have a problem. Let's just make find a way. Like, Absolutely. I think I don't know if that comes from seeing my parents hustle when I was young and not wanting to be without money because I grew up quite poor. Mm. I always, you know, I, I wanted to have money and I knew, you know, I always believed that the, without failure, there is no success. You have to fail at some things to succeed in others. Mm. And I really truly believe that. You know, if you don't take a risk, you're never going to succeed. Mm. And I always had that in my at the back of my mind, you know. And there were always things that I used to say, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, there's always a way to figure it out. Yeah. There really is. And I think yeah. that's what helped me. Yeah. And also you, you mentioned something before about your ex-husband. Um, and I didn't want to interrupt at the time, but you said mm -hmm. that, you know, you grew much faster you became ambitious yeah. and everything yeah you have your background he has a, he had a totally different background yeah where maybe you know everything was you didn't have to work as hard. yeah he didn't have to do all the things and you know that might probably explain also the the different growth speed and everything uh, because definitely you, you definitely know you had to also when when everything is coming in your plate you know it's much easier yeah. to get. <laughs> wait for it absolutely Absolutely. He had things growing up that he didn't have to worry about. His college education was taken care of by his yeah. parents. He, you know, it was a totally different mentality for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, even his business, I, I actually got him involved with an Australian company because he had a, a windshield and exhaust business in Malaysia. And at the time, there came a new product out for um repairing cracked windshields oh, those you know things. no it's when your windshield windshield gets a small crack in it mm. you can have this um what do they call like a chemical or component put on the glass yeah. and it actually fills in the crack and mm. at the time that was extremely new back in the, the the early 90s and it was an australian company that was mm. doing it So I told him to get over to Australia and figure out how this works. It would be great for the business. Mm. And he did go and he did get the, the contract from the Australian company. And then when he came back, I told him they have a AAA in Malaysia, like they do for the AA Automobile Association. Yeah. Yeah. I told him, get in touch with them and let them know that you have this new product and it will save the AA an insurance company's money, instead of replacing a windshield, you know, they're only going to have to pay for a crack repair. Yeah. You know, so I pushed him and pushed him in those directions. But then he's like, okay, you know, all right, we'll do that. But he never really followed up on things. So yeah. I always saw that there were missed opportunities that yeah. slipped through his fingers, you know. And I used to think to myself, why? You know, yeah. but maybe it's because I was very business-minded and aggressive in that way he just yeah. maybe yeah, just... Just, di just different personality i think I mean, yes just about, yes um, yeah i mean <laughs> listening to you speaking you know i mean you 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 go to daybreaker even so you, you're gonna know what i mean by that you know the whole fuck yes mentality yeah, I exactly mean, you <laughs> you have that right? 
I'm not happy in Malaysia. You want to go to New York? Fuck yes, let's just go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. That is very much me. I think. Fuck yes, yeah. I'm going to do it. You know, if it if it if it can make my life better, yeah. if it can make my kids' life better, and you know, a better quality of life, I'm going to do it. You know, even at my age now, you know, I don't want to slow down. I'm running for the board now in this building because I'm not happy with things that are going on here. And believe me, there's some crazy stuff going on here, you know, but I'm running for the board and I'm hoping that I can make a difference mm. in, a, in our community here. You know, I always feel that, you know, you're only here once. You only got one go around. Do it. Don't be afraid to fail. Try. That's all. Bloody love this advice. Yeah. Do it, Rosie. I'll do it. I will go and do it. And everybody listening, yeah. go and do it, that thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do you have any big plans for the future? Anything you're still wanting to do? What's, go. What's, what's, least, what's left on the yeah, checklist? Yeah, what's on the list? <laughs> wow. I would, you know, something's really strange that I've been thinking about. I, even, I haven't even told my husband or anybody about this. But <laughs> oh, I would love to. <laughs> I love music. I love music. I love to dance. I've always loved to dance. I've always loved music. I would love to learn how to DJ. Mm. I would love to learn how to DJ. You, you know someone to... who can teach you? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would love to learn how to use a deck and how, how it all works. And I would love to become probably the oldest rocking DJ <laughs> in Miami. <laughs> they turn up and they see this old lady behind the deck and they go, oh, hell, what's going on? You know, I love but... this. I, I I would love to learn how to DJ. That would be so cool. Yeah. Right. So when we finish, you get a call with Katie, and you ah, tell her, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, Make well, it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. she's got like a female collective DJ thing. So oh, she's the wonderful. Here we go. She is wonderful. <laughs> that girl. I have much yeah. respect for Katie and what she does. Yeah. This is something I would love to learn actually as well. It's on my list. Learning how to DJ. Yeah. It's on my yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is crazy. Uh, how did you end up in Miami? We didn't speak about that. Uh, we ended up in Miami because we were living in New York City. We had a beautiful apartment in New York City. And um, Joanne was living in Miami because she went to school here. We had lived in Florida for a while. When Joanne was in high school, we were living in Melbourne, Florida, which is central Florida. Right. And um, we decided that we didn't want Joanne to grow up in Melbourne, Florida for no other reason that it's just a very small, small town, small town mentality really over yeah. there. We wanted her in a city where she could experience a lot more diversity and culture, yeah. meet many other people, you know, and so she came to school in Miami. We were living in New York for a while and what happened was my husband Jimmy had a medical emergency and he had a surgery on his face, he had a tumor removed. Thank God it wasn't cancer, but he had still had to undergo radiation for six weeks mm -hmm. as a preventative measure, but he left it left him with some facial paralysis. Right. And at the time, it was quite devastating for him and for me, but, you know, because he doesn't look the way he used to look. Mm. And um, it, it caused him a lot of emotional stress and anxiety. 
So he decided he didn't want to live in New York anymore. We had a lot of friends in New York, but he didn't want to be that guy that everybody knew before, you know, he'd had the surgery. So where, why not come to Miami? Why not come to Miami? Jojo is in Miami. But when we told Jojo, she freaked out. (laughs) When we told her we were coming to Miami, oh, well, I hope you don't end up going to the same bars that I go to. You know, I don't, you know, she was young then. And we were saying, no, I don't think so. You know, we might end up going to your bar before you get there. We'll be home in bed by the time you're going out. But uh, she was a little nervous about us coming in the beginning, but... You know, soon enough, she she got used to it. And now she loves it. She's down the street. We can walk there. She can walk over to us. It's amazing. It is pretty ironic considering now she invites you to the Daybreaker event. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. She's funny. Do you prefer Miami or New York? Because they're very different. Yeah. Um, I would have to say I prefer Miami to New York. I did like New York. I liked being in New York, but I don't know. I like the culture of Miami more. Mm. I like the diversity and the way people here mingle more. I like that Miami is a younger city. Mm. I like the younger vibe. It keeps me younger, being around young people. Yeah. I, I just love Miami and I did like New York and like I said we met some nice friends in New York and we still keep in touch but I do prefer Miami myself to New York City yes it's a very special place Miami I think it's got a certain reputation but until you live there and experience it yourself then I think then you can actually truly get to know the city and actually fall in love with it absolutely yes I saw a post yesterday on Instagram that said something like Miami is not in the United States. Miami is not in Florida. Miami is Miami. You have yeah. to live there to understand what that means. Something, something along those I lines. I was like, agree this, is so yeah. this is so I true. I agree. Yeah. yeah. It's like a different country. Miami is like a little country of its own. It's mm. a you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's fabulous. I've been saying that our three years in Miami were not real life. It was a bubble. Like it was. Yeah. I felt so disconnected to everything going on because that was... The world yeah. was just falling apart, in a sense. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I don't know, I I was in my little bubble, just living my happy life and being happy as hell. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, this is not real life. Yeah. It's just a dream. I need to wake <laughs> yeah. up, you know, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we always ask people a final question. So if you could speak to anybody ever, so it could be anybody famous or not, um alive or not um who you think is the most interesting person who would you choose to have a conversation with and why well i would choose to speak to my mom again Mm. and actually i would give my time with my mother to jimmy my husband because i would love my mom to meet jimmy yeah she would adore him he has such a gregarious personality He's funny, he's crazy. There isn't a day go by where I don't laugh and I'm not more in love with him than the day I met him. And I would love my mom to have that time with Jimmy, to get to know Jimmy. I would sit on the side bench and (laughs) listen. (laughs) But I would let, (laughs) yeah, I would let them do the talking. Yeah. 
That's what That's I would love. That's a beautiful love. answer. Thank you. <laughs> it's so refreshing talking to you. Um, it's so nice to see, I don't know, like, you know, there's so much people complaining and being miserable in life. And, and, and sadly, like, most of the time, like the older they get, a lot of people, like the more miserable they feel and unhappy yeah. they feel and everything. And, and the more they just, I don't know, wait for life to happen to them. And yeah. it's so good to hear you talking about oh, that's nice. just like, be happy. I mean, you know, it's really simple yes. in the sense what you're saying, uh, yeah. but, but to actually execute on it, it's, it's a whole Do different it. thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so nice to hear that from... It's interesting as well talking to you because I can now see where Jojo gets her like oh, yeah. personality <laughs> from being happy, being a go-getter, being... All, she's always got a smile on her face. And yeah. I, you know, I, can, I guess it's from you because you seem like the same, like you're so happy and positive about life and just want to do it. And I don't know, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's been really she great is, to talk to you. She, she, she's a wonderful girl and she, she has that drive in her yeah. and she will be very successful at whatever she does. Yeah, yeah, and, I mean, it's already yeah, to be great. honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and also, I love like what you said just right like, a few minutes ago about you know being happily married. How long have you been married now with Jimmy? Uh, I've been married eighteen years to Jimmy. Eighteen years, so they are yeah. going on twenty years, and yeah, more in love every day than ever. Like this is something sadly we don't hear enough. You know, so that's, nice there's that. one thing about young people that uh, kind of bothers me these days, the young people's mentality of they can't commit or they don't want commitment. And, yeah. you know, that's upsetting to me because it's all fun and games when you're in your 20s and 30s. But when you get older, you want somebody with you that's going to be with you through thick and thin and the good and the bad. And you need a partner you know, in your life to enjoy things with. So don't ever think, you know, that commitment is a bad word anymore. It's not. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be committed to somebody. It really is. You need to be an inspirational talker or something. <laughs> I'm like ready to just get going with life and <laughs> you've shaken me up Good. a bit. <laughs> I hope so. I hope yeah. so because I see you two on your journeys and I see what you do and I think you're wonderful and I think oh. you have everything going for you. Thank Don't you. give up. Keep going, you know. You got it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and for sharing your story. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Um Jojo, what do you think? Yeah, let us know, Jojo. <laughs> Um, if anybody wants to send you a message to say hi, um, what's your Instagram or what's the best way to contact you? Well, they can contact me through Instagram at Lorraine Curiazis is my Instagram. Or, you know, I'm on Facebook. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can leave a link yeah. to the show. Yeah, yeah. that would be yeah. fun. Thank you so, 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 so much. Thank you, uh, guys. Really loved this conversation. Conway, like, as soon as we're back in Miami, we'll come see you, give you a hug. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. That would be whenever, awesome. Whenever we can go back, we'll we'll make it happen. Great. And uh, yeah, to everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we will be back next Wednesday with a new episode as usual. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.